Hey, you are about to listen to a somewhat abbreviated edition of Corona Calls. That's because this is a podcastified version of a live radio segment, and it is the time of the year when we shorten that radio segment to free up time to ask for people to donate to the radio station that makes it happen. If you would like to pitch in, it's really easy. Just go to kpfa.org and mention Corona Calls in the comment field when you submit your donation. If you want to send in a question for next week's segment, we're only taking them through email right now. The address is coronacalls at kpfa.org. Thanks so much. Hope you enjoy it. We're going to turn, as we do most weeks at this time, to new developments in the world of COVID-19. Our guest, your guide, Dr. John Swartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus of Infectious Diseases at UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Good morning, Dr. Swartzberg. Good morning. The first question I want to start with is uh, kind of the the big picture trend question. The, The sewage dashboards that I look like show a leveling off or a dropping around the Bay Area. Uh, I checked hospitalizations in California. They're down 8% week over week. Do do we think the fall swell in cases has crested? Maybe. It does look like that from the wastewater data, from the hospital data that you mentioned. So that's very encouraging. Deaths, at least in some parts of the United States, may be flattening too. So all of those things are very encouraging. Um, the reason I say maybe is that we know that still an awful lot of people are getting COVID looking at the uh, percent, what's called the percentage positive tests, people who are symptomatic and go in and get tested and what percentage of those are positive. They're still up there, but they are coming down a little bit too. So there are all these tantalizing things that do suggest that we have perhaps crested now. On the policy front, uh, several counties now, I have seen San Mateo, Contra Costa, Sonoma, uh, and Alameda have all issued emergency orders requiring healthcare workers and medical facilities to start masking on November 1st, um, which, which seems sound as a matter of policy. It, it is the timing that interests me. That seems to signal they expect there will be a, a predictable wave of infections in the winter when the pandemic has been anything but predictable up to this point. What's the reasoning? Sure. Well, and also San Francisco County uh, never got rid of their mandate for uh, health care workers in hospitals. So mm-hmm. the, the thinking is that history may be prologue, and that is every winter and late fall, we see a rise in cases of COVID. And it, it has to do with Things that some things we just don't understand, and some things we do, like the holidays, we, um, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, all of all of the activities that surround that. So every year we've seen a big rise in cases. There's no reason to expect that this won't occur next, this year. That was a double negative, but we expect that it probably will occur again this year. Hopefully, it won't be very bad. The second reason is that this winter season and late fall season coincides with two other very important respiratory pathogens, respiratory syncytial virus or RSV and influenza. So if we have a rise in cases in all three of these, which we do anticipate, 
and any one of these is more than we expect, then it could really challenge our healthcare system, and we could be in very bad shape, not just for the patients, but for the healthcare workers. You may recall that um, when Omicron first visited us on December 1st, within a month that it exploded, and an awful lot of healthcare workers weren't able to come in the hospital because they were sick. So bottom line, I think the counties that have advised, and not just advised us, but mandated this uh, requirement for healthcare workers in healthcare facilities beginning November 1st through April, um, I think they're very wise. People in the hospital today, just do this thought experiment, nobody gets hospitalized today unless they're very ill. We tend to not admit people like we used to 30, 40 years ago, and that's great. But very ill people are, we know, are the most susceptible to having a bad outcome if they get COVID. How can you consciously have healthcare workers not protecting those patients? So I think it's a very, very wise thing that these county health officers are doing. If we expect there to be a, a predictable winter surge in cases from here on out, then how, how does that affect considerations around timing boosters? Um, I, I am someone who would normally wait until a little bit later in the year to get the flu booster. Uh, I've been getting each COVID booster, booster as soon as they become available, <laughs> like <laughs> practically camping outside the door like I'm trying to get tickets to a sold out concert. <laughs> Is it worth kind of adopting a more uh, relaxed approach or, or a more timing-based approach? Well, I think with influenza, it might be. Um, we know the influenza vaccine loses its effectiveness fairly quickly. After about three months since you've been vaccinated, the amount of protection you have has, has substantially decreased. It's still there, but substantially decreased. We also know that typically... Influenza visits our community here in the Bay Area, for example. It typically starts in late December in terms of increased cases, and it really peaks in late January, early February, and then by the end of March is pretty much dwindled back down to its baseline, which is not very many cases. So that's the predictable influenza season. If you get vaccinated right now, let's say, 1st of October, you'll have good protection within two weeks. So you'll have protection for October, the second half of October, November, December, and then it starts to dwindle off right when influenza typically peaks. So pushing your influenza vaccine to the end of October or even the first week of November would give you better protection for the times when we predict that influenza peaks. The caveat, of course, to this is what you were alluding to, Brian, and that is that influenza doesn't behave certain laws of nature like with physics, and it could, it could occur early. And if it does occur early, you're going to want to be protected. So what I would suggest is keep an eye on the amount of influenza that's circulating in our community. And that's pretty easy to do through the California State Department of Health website or the, even the CDC website. And if we're starting to see an increased uptick in cases of influenza, get vaccinated right away. If things are remaining very low, as they are in our community right now, then push it off perhaps a little bit. That's the approach I'm going to take. But um, you'll hear other doctors recommend, of course, other things. 
With the RSV vaccine, it looks like the protection lasts at least six months. And though, although RSV vaccine, RSV is a virus that typically hits us hard in late fall, and especially the winter, getting it right now should give you protection all the way through the RSV season. And COVID is the least able to predict. Uh, and because it really hasn't established, <clears throat> excuse me, the seasonality that influenza and RSV typically do, well, I think we then all bets are off. And I'm going to do what you just said you're going to do, and that is I'm going to get the COVID vaccine uh, cer certainly when it's available. As a matter of fact, my wife and I have an appointment for this Saturday. Yeah, appointments are not easy to come by. Uh, <laughs> Kaiser, who is my healthcare provider, says they won't have it in stock till October. Um, Walgreens, the the appointments like disappear on their website almost as fast as they come up. My wife was able to get one, and and they told her, "Oh, by the way, because uh, you're insured by Kaiser and we don't have an arrangement with you, uh, we have to charge you a hundred and fifty five dollars for the vaccine, which is a first. I guess this is a consequence of the federal government getting out of the vaccine procurement business. Now it's all in the private market. That's right. Um, this is um, all um, all in the private market now. Uh, not completely all. If you have no insurance, uh, the government has a plan called the Bridge Plan, which should pay for your vaccine. Now, I don't think that's operating yet, but you, somebody, sh uh, if you're interested in getting it and you don't have any insurance, um, find out about that bridge plan. It may, perhaps it is available now. Um, it, it, I have a friend who's a physician at UCSF who went and got his um, COVID vaccine and they charged him $130. Uh, and he's, he has Medicare, Part B Medicare, which covers it. But the pharmacy's computer program didn't recognize that because there was a glitch in the computer program. So things are really not very running very smoothly with the program right now. And this has nothing to do with the federal government. What it has to do with is a brand new vaccine being implemented pretty quickly. And a lot of the logistics have not been ironed out. We had a, well, an appointment. It, I mean, it does have to do with the federal government retreating from the role it played in prior rounds of vaccination, which was being the universal buyer. Uh, Fair and, enough. And just dis distributing the vaccine with the price covered. That's right. Uh, that's absolutely right. Had, had things been running as they previously had, it would have gone likely much more smoothly. It's kind kind of astonishing that three years in, we're getting worse at this. Um, we we had a cup a bunch of questions on the vaccine front from listeners uh, through our email Corona calls at kpfa.org. We're we're not going to take calls today because we need to keep the phone lines open for fundraising at the end of the hour. Um, Dan in San Francisco wrote to ask about the prospect of waiting to get the booster if you've recently had COVID. He writes. Quote, I get that you will get a better spike in immunity from the booster by waiting, but are there any affirmative downsides to getting the booster right away and then getting another booster when you're able? Well, the downside is what he was alluding to, and that is if you get it uh, right after you've been infected within the first couple of months, maybe three months after having infection, you may not get as good a boost that is, you may not get as good a antibody response from the vaccine. 
and waiting a little bit longer, at least three months after after an infection, will give you should give you a much better response to the to the new vaccine. So that's the argument for waiting. The dilemma, of course, that Dan's alluding to is that in that interim, you could get COVID again, and you want to be protected from that. So again, it's this judgment call. But the current advice is, if you've had COVID, wait three months, and then you can get vaccinated. Then get vaccinated again. A uh, question on the other end of the immunity. Patricia writes that her uh, husband, who is 78, may be scheduled for a heart procedure in the next month. And she is curious how long it takes for the vaccine to take full effect. Right. It You get a good response within about seven days, but you get your really optimal response around 10 to 14 days. So... I think Patricia's husband, and I like that she's being there being proactive about this, um, he should get his vaccine at least 10 days, probably 14 days before that procedure. And how long does that peak response last for? Well, it lasts, it really lasts for a month, maybe two months in people, not a long time, sometimes out to three months. We get a really good response, but it starts to drift off fairly quickly. So I think the way you need to look at this vaccine is it's real. It's major intent. The major thing we need from it is to keep people out of the hospital and keep them, of course, from dying. And that response lasts a good while, at least many months, maybe, maybe even out to a year. And some data suggests even longer. So that's, the key response. But in terms of having enough antibodies to prevent you from getting infected again, that drifts off pretty quickly. And so we hear about people who got vaccinated and then three months later, they came down with COVID again. It certainly happened. Some even quick, more quickly, some a little longer. So that response to protect us from getting infected is very short lived, unfortunately. This, uh, you know, this has led some people, most notably Paul Offit, who's on one of the, the boards that reviews vaccine for the FDA, to suggest that for people who are younger and healthier, um, there, there just may not be a point getting a, a booster this round. You have enough immunity from prior rounds of vaccination that you are very well protected against hospitalization and death. And although the risks are extremely minimal of getting a booster from getting a booster, the risks of any adverse side effects, uh, why take them if you already have that protection? Yeah. <clears throat> well, we talked about Paul off a couple of weeks ago and I told you how much I respect him. Um, I respectfully disagree with him on this issue, but, um, this is a, this is an issue where you can ask 20 doctors and have 40 different opinions. The reason why I, I disagree is because if you look at, well, let's just look at very young children, five and younger. Uh, hospitals, hospitalizations are up fivefold from where they were just several months ago. We're getting a lot of hospitalizations in young children now. They need to be protected. I talked to a friend um, uh, a few days ago who came down with COVID. He was really sick, and he was really sick for a long time. For at least, he missed about two weeks of um, work 
from COVID. That was an unusually bad episode. Getting the vaccine is going to help you not get so sick. There's some evidence that for at least a month, maybe two months, maybe even out to three months, it may protect you from getting infected and therefore it protects you from infecting someone else like aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa. Even if you're young, you can protect the people around you. There's evidence that if you've been vaccinated, you're less likely to transmit the virus even beyond three months uh, because you don't, perhaps because you don't have as much viral particles to transmit. So these are all arguments, not get, avoiding getting sick and missing work or school, protecting the really young kids from getting hospitalized, perhaps decreasing transmission within your community and protecting those loved ones around you. Mm. Yeah. And I, I remember discussing this with Dr. Roffitt. We had him on the, the show last year and he had a, a similar concern about the pediatric vaccine. And he was, he was careful to describe this as a very low stakes debate, <laughs> like the, the balance, the balance of evidence uh, for either course of action is, is very weak or the difference would be very weak. Um, yeah. I, I, I really like for I, me, I, really like I, I am otherwise healthy and in my forties, the considerations are not just health, right? Like I have a trip planned to see my parents in a couple of weeks. I want to get boosted now. So I reduce the chances of A, canceling that trip because I get COVID and B, picking up COVID on the plane uh, and, and getting my elderly parents sick while I'm visiting. Um, There's just all these kind of second and third order effects that you have to wrestle with in your life when, when you're playing this out for real. Well put. And I like the way you described uh, Dr. Offit's uh, comment as this is a very low-level disagreement. All right, Dr. Schwartzberg, oh, we should leave it there for today uh, so that we can raise some money for the station. Thank you so much for spending another Monday with us. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, that does it for this week's edition of Corona Calls. If you want to send in a question for next week's, you can email coronacalls at kpfa. Dot org. There won't be any live call-ins next week either, but we would surely welcome your contribution. If you want to donate at kpfa.org, mention Corona Calls in the comment field. We put a little bit of extra work into repackaging this live segment as a podcast because it feels like the information is useful to a lot of people. We ought to make it accessible through as many channels as possible. You can help us get the word out by rating and reviewing it in whatever app you're using to listen. And if you want to pitch in some cash, we wouldn't say no. We always take donations at kpfa.org. appreciate it if you mentioned Corona Calls when you make your pledge. My name is Brian Edwards-Tiegert. I hope you have a great week. Stay well. We'll talk to you next time.